Hey guys, welcome to the Healthy Six uh, Live. It's going to be your webinar, it's first part of your podcast, and it's also going to lead to a Q&A that we're going to cover on Facebook in a moment. Um, this topic today, which is going to be fat loss and weight loss, and I'm going to let you in or let Kyle introduce you to what we're going to cover all the way through today. So fat loss or weight loss. Now, the reason why we've done the healthy six in this order is because you'll see today fat loss and weight loss is relatively straightforward. The science behind it is easy, right? But the application for most people is hard. And this is why we talk a lot about psychology, people's mindsets, because that's where we see a lot of the struggles for most people. So we're going to teach you the science behind fat loss and weight loss right now, the difference between the two and what you actually need to do to start implementing things to get the results you want. So things we're going to cover is why weight loss is redundant. So what, what the actual being behind fat loss and weight loss is, the real argument that carries on to that next um, topic, what is weight loss and what is fat loss, how we actually lose body fat, so how we create a calorie deficit and what actually a calorie deficit is. And then we'll touch on calorie calculators and the nutrition aspect of that. We'll then be touching points on cardio for fat loss. Do we need to do it? How much? And that sort of thing. Um, and then the strength training aspect for fat loss as well. Why we actually need to promote strength training um, and not just do tons and tons of cardio. Then one of the most important topics, in my opinion, for most people to apply and one of the easiest is why movement is so important. So movement we class as neat um, and we'll touch base on that. Also, we're going to look at food versus fuel. So why are calories king for some people um, and a hot topic of debate on that one. Then we'll look at individual macros, what do they look like and uh, what they comprise, uh, comp compromise off, sorry. And then we're looking at rapid weight loss versus consistency. So what the general rate of weight loss you should be looking at if you've tried diets before and things like that. So we're gonna try and make it, um, this is a general conversation, it's not prescriptive, this isn't individual, this is not one-to-one -one coaching, this is just the general take on what you can do to start getting better results. Perfect. So guys, just getting into it, weight loss, fat loss, it's the easiest thing you can do in the science of being a PT. Like if a PT tells you weight loss and fat loss as a science is difficult, run. That's why we have the healthy six, because everything that impacts that, the other pillars of health is what makes weight loss or fat loss very difficult. So why is weight loss redundant in our opinion in the healthy six? So the definition of weight is a body's relative mass or the quantity of matter contained by it, giving rise to a downward force, the heaviness of a person or thing. He was at least 15 stone in weight. So it's quite simple. And we touched on this last week. Weight is quite simply the effect of gravity on a, on a body, on something. So, for example, 15 kilos of weight is the force of gravity on a dumbbell or 20 or 25. So the dumbbells in the gym between 2.5 kilos up to maybe even 10 kilos don't really differ in size, but it's what's inside it that makes it heavier. So why is weight loss redundant? Well, from this side, how heavy you are doesn't have an impact on who you are. There are obviously always extremes to this argument, whether you are small and underweight, then of course there are health effects on that, not having enough fat in your body, not having enough muscle, maybe leading to joint problems. And then of course, all the way over to the other side, you're going to have the same issues by having too much weight in your body, could be putting too much force on your joints. But as a whole, for 90% of people listening to this, your weight is irrelevant. Your weight doesn't have a direct correlation of your body image 
and I could give you a hundred examples and so could Kyle. I was talking to someone that I know I'm very close to the other day. She's 30 years old, female. She's the leanest she's ever been and she's also the heaviest she's ever been. To the point where she's nearly seven or eight kilos heavier than me. If she was going on the scales and weight, we'd have one very unhappy person in their body image. But actually, the number on the scale doesn't represent how she presents in physique, how she presents in confidence, strength and fitness. So why weight loss is redundant is because it doesn't have that direct correlation to who you are, what you look like. And you wouldn't judge other things by their weight. You wouldn't buy a car based on its weight. You wouldn't uh, pick up a certain chicken in the shop by its weight unless it's because you needed a certain amount more. But there is no real relative uh comparison between weight and who we are so do we want to lose weight possibly but what we really mean by this 90% of the time is we want to change shape so yeah a really important question and I'm going to ask this question and Carl's going to kind of discuss it not necessarily answer it but does muscle weigh more than fat huh interesting one so muscle is a lot denser than fat right so and this is a big thing we see in fat loss versus weight loss. So some people generally won't actually lose that much weight if they're smaller entities. So what I mean by that is typically we see as coaches, if someone's around the 50 to 60 kilo mark, their body weight won't drop too much during a deficit, but they will have a lot of body compositional changes happen, right? So if you lost, let's say, a kilo, two kilos, but lost 10 to 15 centimeters in, in measurements, you're recomping. So you're changing your body shape. Your body is losing um, circumference, uh, which normally comes in the shape of dropping body fat and actually increasing muscle tissue slightly or getting that, that strengthened look, toned look that most people talk about. So in a muscle tissue and fat, they're comparable in weight. One kilo of, of uh, muscle is one kilo of fat. They're the same. So one kilo is one kilo, but they look vastly different, massively different. Um, and Travis and I both coach people for fat loss. If you want to see what it looks like, obviously look at the results we get. That's the, th that's the difference, right? And weight loss isn't what most people want. They want to look better. Um, I've never had someone come in and they go, that solely focus on the number on the scales. It's all about the image. It's what they want to achieve, how you perceive yourself, confidence, feeling good naked. That, that's what we want. So that's what Travis and I try and promote. And we're going to teach you the strategies you can use right now to try and start getting that process going for you. And a, and a really good summary of this is muscle doesn't weigh more than fat, but for the same volume of muscle and fat, muscle takes up less room. Yes. So some people may never lose any weight, but they may change their shape or lose five, six, seven, eight inches off their waist and their hips, but they're still the same weight. So if we was looking at scale weight, they would not think they've progressed. But if we were looking at measurements and clothes and kind of all those other things that we can look at to assess progress, then weight loss is redundant. And this is why here we've put scale weight should not be a representative of our happiness or a measure of our progress, which is why here in the Healthy Six, we're not focusing on weighing weekly in front of others where we feel pressure to have lost necessarily weight or to be this certain thing where margarine taps on the back and say, don't worry, love, there's always next week. Like it's irrelevant. Like we might gain weight some week, but it doesn't mean we haven't progressed. Yeah. So there's a lot to, there's a lot to weight that people don't understand. And I think we see that Travis, we talk about it quite a lot in terms of if you, in, in terms of weight, you have 
glycogen, carbohydrates, you have water, you have muscle tissue, you have fat mass, there's salt intake, there's so time in the month for females, there's so many, yeah. So Literally many your skeleton guys will affect your weight and you can't lose that. So it's a really important thing, but I think that leads us in, in nicely to the real argument. So if weight loss is redundant and we're not chasing weight loss, what should we be chasing? Now, bear in mind, this isn't for everyone. So remember, we're not saying everyone watching this needs to lose fat. That's not the case. There'll be some of you watching, listening that could build muscle or you're here because you want to get fitter and they're all great. But if you're someone that thinks that you're listening to this because you want to lose weight, we're going to start changing that mindset right now. So again, if we don't chase weight loss, Carl, what are we chasing? And what are the benefits and drawbacks of that? So fat loss. Fat loss is the aim for most people. We want to feel better in our clothes. We want to look better naked. Um, we want to actually just feel comfortable in our body, right? So when it comes to fat loss, what we've got to try and to achieve is retain as much muscle tissue as we can, reveal the physique that's underneath the fat, essentially. That's, that's one way to think about fat loss. All you're trying to do is reveal what is underneath the, the fat that's been stored, right? So fat is just stored energy. That's what we need to understand. So the basic science of fat loss is calories in, calories out, which we'll touch base on in a minute. So all fat is is stored energy that your body is going to use at some point in time. And this, and this time might be now, if you want to feel better, look better and stuff like that, all we need to do is reduce that energy that you've got stored. So with that, you're going to have body compositional changes. Your clothes are going to feel looser, measurements are going to come down. Um, but a big part of this is also stimulating muscle tissue. So we'll touch base on this, I think, uh, on later slides, Travis, um, where we're going to talk about strength training and things like that and why it actually is important for the fat loss process. Yeah, definitely. And um, again, drawbacks to fat loss, like really... There really are none. Like, again, if you lose lots of fat, you're going to change shape. You're going to feel possibly more confident because of that. You're going to have less weight or less less mass that you've got to carry around. So less force on the joints. And it, we're just going to really be in a really good place. And that's not uh, excluding the fact that some of these will have an impact on like your visceral fat. So that's fat around your organs and stuff like that as well. So we need to be really, really careful in terms of that. Um, so if scale weight isn't that important, then why do we do scale measurements? What, what is the purpose? So I tell you why I do it. It's because it gives us data. And we've spoken about this before, but in terms of, in terms of data, it is the key to everything. So if you were checking your bank account, if you was getting a mortgage, if you was studying KPIs at work, you would look at data. Weight measurement is part of that data that tells us a little story about your mass about your needs in terms of nutrition and calories and maybe how much you should be moving. So we know if you're really, really heavy, then maybe you shouldn't be doing big barbell squats in the gym, but actually maybe some body weight squats would be sufficient at the start of your journey. If you're really, really light, then maybe we don't want you running around too much in terms of impacts on your joints because there's less protection. So therefore we might want to build up muscle first. It could be that it affects the amount of calories that we have because our body has to carry that around so we're burning more calories as we move etc so we take scale weight measurements to give us data on things of daily needs such as water intake caloric intake exercise output and then a little story about you but it isn't what defines you and that's why the scale weight should be dictated as data and not as a mental pressure a mental indicator of your progress yeah i think that's a really really big point there um 
what gets measured gets managed, right? And all we're looking at as coaches is what's actually, what's that body weight telling us in relation to all the other figures that we're taking as well. So we're not going to respond directly to scale weight because we look at other measurements as well. I, I say all the time that for me, scale weight is only around a third of what I'm looking at as a coach. I'm looking at other variables, how your clothes feeling, are your measurements coming down, photos looking better, energy levels and things like that. So it's only part of the process and that's something you really need to understand. Um, and yes, collect it, but also understand it. Yeah, definitely. Point. So if we are looking at fat loss and this is your goal and that's why you're in the Healthy Six, a uh, really important question that you wanted us to answer now probably for about four weeks is how can you actually lose fat? So what is fat? Now I've shamelessly plugged my calorie calculator here. I did speak with Kyle and we agreed mine was far better. No, I'm joking. I get the link. So Kyle also has one. So if you don't want to use mine, you can reach out to Kyle. There is a calorie calculator on my website. We'll link it into Facebook. Um, I'll get Kyle as well. We'll put it on the um, podcast link as well. And that will just tell us a little bit about ourselves in terms of the calories we need. And remember, that's going to be based on the things that we've just spoken about. So once you have your calorie calculator to tell you how much, hello, there we go, that tells you how many calories you need, what is that actually doing to your body and how does weight loss or fat loss actually occur? And I'm sure we've all heard the term calorie effing deficit, painted by a famous PT that's constantly going on about it. Me and Carl have our reservations about some of it, but we know that calorie deficit is the only way you're going to lose weight or fat. So what does that actually mean in layman's terms for people, Carl? What is a calorie deficit? So a calorie deficit is basically, and I say basically because this is the science behind it, is calories in versus calories out. So what we're trying to do for weight loss is get our calories in a lot lower than our calories out. So we want to be expending quite a lot and consuming a, moderate to lower intake than what our body actually requires so we don't store that energy right and there are a few variables that we'll talk about a bit later with fat loss um, in, in regards to that but that is the basic science behind it so a calorie deficit we're looking at food in your drink so liquid intake water and stuff like that your daily movement your training and how much energy your body needs to to be alive so with creating a calorie deficit and i'll just touch base on this in terms of calorie calculators these are estimations now in the background of a calorie calculator looks at five different variables of energy output. So you can actually fluctuate through around a, a, a 700 to a 400 margin of, of a calorie calculator in terms of the numbers it can give you. So you can do Travis's and then if you change the variables again, it'll give you another number because it's based on a, a, an estimate. So the only way we know what your true deficit is, is by measuring things side by side in terms of food in, movement, training. That's how we get your, 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 um, your uh, actual calorie deficit number. And that's what we look at as coaches and that's the sort of thing we, we do. So can you be in too much of a deficit? So this is a really good point. So yes. So the thing is with a calorie deficit, you're putting your body into a negative energy deficit, right? So the body doesn't want to be there. It doesn't want to be losing weight. It doesn't want to be losing anything, really. It, it wants to be a place of maintenance or for most people that have built fat over time, it wants to store energy, right? That's where it feels safe as a human being. So from a survival instinct, your body doesn't want to be dropping weight because obviously it's doing too much and it's going to be low energy and stuff like that. So too much of a deficit can bring around things like brain fog, low libido, 
dizziness, which you don't want, um, really, really high hunger cravings and things like that. So you've got to be clever about how you go through this process. And hopefully this, this presentation will show you how to do that because I see people put themselves in a large deficit for two weeks. And then after those two weeks, really hungry, they crash and they come out of it four to six weeks time and then they can never get back into the flow now remember with fat cells they're only ever shrinking right as soon as you come out of a deficit they're ready to expand where survival instinct is to store energy so those cells as soon as you refeed them are going to want to bloom right and that's why most people will lose 10 kilos gain 15 kilos they then do the same thing the following year they then gain another five kilos so they're constantly actually going adding weight over the course of 12 months rather than actually losing weight yeah, definitely good points. And again, and I'm sure Carl will vouch for this and, and you lot have heard of it, but the amount of times we get a new client and we put their calories up from what they've told us they've been eating because, you, you know, you'll get like a female, fairly small in height and stature, very active and she's come to lose some fat and she's like, oh, I've been eating 1200 calories. And you go, well, we're putting you on 1600. And they're like, what? well, how am I going to lose weight there? Well, because 90% of the time people aren't sticking to even those 1200 because they set it so low that they then go and eat 4,000 calories on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but they forget to mention that they binge every weekend and therefore their calorie input is a lot higher. So certainly making sure that we're doing it and we think about everything as balance and we are only slightly tipping the balance will keep us in a much, much better and more uh, consistent position to, to push because we're not, up and down all over the side as well and there's a number of things and we could really could deep dive into the knock-on effects of of how those extra low calories on five days a week and high calories can affect your body again talking like blood sugar sleep stress management you've got uh, hormones they are all of an effect but if we can just tip that balance slightly in the right direction and keep it there for a long time then eventually you're going to come flying so it's a really important one to get right. And that's where coaches and adjustments, um, the, you know, really come in handy. And there's a bit of a cliche and I say it to my clients quite a lot and they, I think they hate it actually. I think a lot of people hate my cliches, but I'm a PT and it's my God given right to do it. So I'm going to carry on where we say, when you go on a plane, your plane doesn't fly in a straight line. Your plane is trying to fly in a straight line and the pilot makes loads of micro adjustments to keep it on course. That's what we're here for. And that's why we start sometimes with a slower deficit or a bigger deficit and we tweak to keep you there. And that's that's where the value of the coaching comes and probably where the little bit of that guesswork can be really difficult. And, and even sometimes when we know what we think or we think we know what we're doing, sometimes someone's just that ex external eye, that third eye will will always give us a benefit. I'm just going to write that down. One second, Travis. That was a really good quote, <laughs> quote there. That. I've got loads of them, mate. They're actually a glossary of fitness cliches that are going uh, in the notepad. Um, and then just a quick one to touch on down here as well in terms of adherence. We're not going to get into this too much, um, but we see a lot of people trying to overcomplicate it. Again, Kyle, how many times you had someone sign up and the first thing they ask you is what supplements I need to buy? Yeah, that's pretty much the... If I had pound for every time that happened, I'd be a millionaire. You would be here, mate. So <laughs> adherence, we've talked about calories and energy balance. Make sure that's right. Then you're going to focus on hitting your protein goal, then carbohydrates, then fats. Then we're going to start talking about the things that need to be micromanaged a little bit more. Are we hitting sleep? What time of nutrients we have in? Fiber, micronutrients, ergogenic aids, meal frequency. They're all things that are going to have a knock-on effect to your fat loss and consistency. But if you can't master the balance of energy balance slash calories, 
then why on earth are you worried about what times you eat? Yeah, I think I think people try and go to that bodybuilding thing straight away. So the top of the pyramid is what your typical bodybuilder would look at, eating every two or three hours for MPS and stuff like that. Whereas most people just need to get really good at that bottom part of energy balance. Keep moving, train hard, and just understand your food. And this is where Travis and I would talk about adherence all the time. You can lose 10, 10 kilos in four weeks, but if you put it on after that four weeks, you've not lost 10 kilos, right? And it comes back to the, the first ever Q&A Travis and I did. And Travis said, if you reach your goal, regardless of time, have you actually failed that goal? And I think this resonates me with fat loss because most people want to look better. And when it comes to body composition changes, you've probably got a lot more work to do than you actually think you have. I think people underestimate, like it takes time to build fat, takes time to build um, these things these things up and it takes time to lose it, right? It does take time to change your body composition. Travis and I have probably been training for nearly 10, 15 years and we're still trying to push our bodies. Um, and we track everything as well. We track different variables. We have coaches within ourselves. We're constantly trying to adapt our own bodies as well. Um, and you've got to create that adherence to get the success. Um, we see a lot of people go too fast too soon and, and they just go backwards. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's like an adherence is, it's always the key, but, and I guess it comes from recovery and I've spoken about it before as well is you could, you could apply this to many situations. Like it could be recovery from addictions. It could be recovery from anxiety or whatever, but, or even eating disorders. But if you relapse in adherence, but you get back on it quicker than you did before, then that's still progress. So if you have a couple of weeks off or you go on holiday for two weeks and it takes you two weeks to get back into the flow, well, last year it took you six months. Yeah. So stop beating yourself up. That That is adherence, the fact that you're now starting to get back into it because you see the value in it. Yeah, yeah, I like that as well. Yeah, a lot of people look at adherence as, oh, I'm hitting my macros every, every, every day. It's like, no, we're not. You're never, ever going to be perfect. And that's one thing that... I, in my younger days, when I started training, I was trying to be perfect all the time and I never was. I've got another one for you, Carl. You'll love this. Being 80% perfect 100% of the time will always bring more results than being 100% perfect 50% of the time. Right. I've, I'm yeah, going to steal this. Right. Let me get a note for that. <laughs> Cliches galore, mate. Right. Moving on. So we've sort of like, again, guys, make sure you do go and check out the calorie calculators when we link them. We'll give you a couple... Um, there's loads if you don't want to use ours and you just want to jump on google then that's fine but if you don't want to use ours then why are you listening um so make sure you check them out and then get an understanding some of you will have been through this um prior but we will start next week hopefully we will have a tool for you to really take that to the next level so we've spoken about what a calorie deficit is and we haven't spoken about nutrition because that's an entirely different entity that we could talk about for about six months so we're going to look at movement for fat loss starting with cardio so if we know that cardio calorie output as as well as all the other benefits will affect a calorie deficit should we be doing cardio for fat loss now this is one that different coaches will have different opinions on and something that kyle and i haven't discussed so we'll see if we're on the same <laughs> level. so i'll ask you kyle and then yeah. i will give my input at the end of each of yours but should or would you get your clients to do cardio for fat loss so Yes. And so, and my opinion's changed on cardio over the last two or three years. Cardio is a very good tool for mo for, for everyone, really. Um, and regardless of fat loss, everyone should be doing it to protect their, their heart, right? So from a cardiac point of view, 
you want to be as efficient as, as possible. Your body, body will be able to deal with more stress, more efficient at distributing blood around your body. If you've got blood pressure problems, it's also going to help with that. Obviously, if you have blood pressure problems, you need to make sure the cardio program for you is incremental over time and not doing much damage. Um, but yeah, in terms of energy expenditure, it's, it's going to bring about more calories burned, right? Now, one thing that I don't look at is I don't use cardio as calorie burning. I use cardio to facilitate the benefits that we want. So with a client, I want them to be more efficient at distributing nutrients around the body for recovery. So they'll do cardio for that. Also, I want them to be as fit as possible for when they train. So they can train a bit harder. So I'll use cardio for that. I'll also use different in, uh, varying intensities of cardio um, to get the, the different adaptations that I want. But I don't solely look at cardio as energy output i use uh, movement for that so i.e walking i use cardio more for its effects on the body in terms of fitness and, and the benefits it can bring about yeah. the only thing to, to caveat that is as we lose weight we lose mass so obviously we're, we're dropping we're dropping mass your body then requires less energy so the the amount of energy that i'm going to burn during exercise tails off a slight bit so as you get fitter, you actually, your body gets more, a lot more efficient at utilizing energy. So you won't be burning as much as frequently, especially if you're dropping weight. So from a, from a, a fat loss perspective, I don't use cardio as right, go and burn loads of calories doing cardio. I'll use it for, for its benefits of making you fitter, making you more efficient uh, and things like that. Interesting. Okay. So that's very, so Carl goes on a very holistic approach, which is great. And he's all the points that he's using cardio for are really positive. Now I work in a slightly different way when I have fat loss clients and particularly like photo shoot clients, when we took the clients to photo shoot, where what we're trying to do for fat loss, which we'll cover in the next couple of slides as well, is I'm thinking how many tools can I add to your belt? So if we've got a tool belt for fat loss and nutrition is one and sleep is one and stress management is one well then cardio is also one so carl made a point that i'll follow on from and this is something that you guys can implement so what carl has said in incorporating cardio in your weekly programming in order of looking after your heart delivery of nutrients to the muscles fitness for making sure your training sessions are all intense they're all really key things that everyone should be thinking about doing and at no point anyone that's looking for optimal health you should be doing cardio of some sort in the week. But in terms of fat loss, how do we then use that to increase fat loss? Well, when we start to plateau, remembering to lose fat or weight or mass, whatever you want to call it, we have to have a calorie deficit. And as Carl mentioned, as you lose mass, your body needs less energy. Think smaller fuel tank, less fuel. Well, now we need to burn more fuel. So we can add this as a tool belt and over maybe an eight week period of time, introducing more and more cardio specifically for calorie output but not using the calories calculated on a watch or a machine because we just base it on time will have a really positive impact on managing to shift more calorie output remember more calorie output to create a bigger calorie deficit which could then cause more fat loss yeah that's okay. an interesting point there travis actually in terms of the way i was describing it was more from a apple watch point of view so i'm glad you added that in Looking at time is is a correct way to do it. Um, sorry, I, I, I interrupted you there. No, you're fine, mate. But yeah, 100% watches, guys. Like, I mean, I call a Fitbit a shit bit. So if you're wearing one of those, sorry, my bad. But they're not very good. 
Um, I'll probably get one dashed at the side of my head in a minute for calling it that. <laughs> um, but also Garmin's, Apple Watches, you can get all Gucci watches, whatever you want, but actually they're still working on a guesstimation. And if we follow the calorie burn constantly, then we're going to be pretty upset. So just using increased time or increased frequency or increased intensity in cardio for fat loss can be really key. Um, obviously, more cardio equals more weight loss. Yes or no? Potentially, yeah. yes. But once we go too far, then it's going to be a no. So if we keep our calories at the same level and increase our cardio, then we do create a bigger deficit. So yes. But then... That number two question probably is a real trick question because then what effects does it have on your hunger and cravings and your recovery? Yeah, push that up. If your hunger and cravings go up too much, that then mean you cannot stick to your nutritional input, then more cardio does not equal more weight loss because you're just going to end up eating more and burning more and you're just never going to have any time to rest and relax or recover, poorer recovery. And then, yeah, so more cardio does not equal more weight loss slash fat loss but we can use it as a tool on our belt. But again, number five, again, other benefits of cardio. Yeah. Increased cardiac health, increased um, fitness, delivering nutrients to the parts of the muscle sites where maybe we've trained. There's so many benefits of cardio and everyone should be doing it. But should we be doing it alone for fat loss? Then no, probably not. Because the more we do, the more it's going to affect our hormones, our hunger and our cravings and impair our recovery. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Just listening to you talk there just shows you how specific, because when we answer these questions as coaches, we're thinking about the different examples we get. So when it comes to programming cardio, we have to, well, when it comes to programming anything for anyone, we, we look at their life. We look at what they do for a job, how much time they've got available, what their actual goal is, what they currently do now, how can we increase it, what's their health. So we look at all these variables. So when it comes to this sort of stuff, when we program stuff for people, it's normally progressive for you as an individual. If you don't have tons and tons of time to hit the gym and hit the cardio, we can look at getting it in other ways. Um, and also, if you find cardio has a massive effect on... Say again? I said oi, oi. Yeah, if cardio has a massive effect on uh, hunger and cravings, then managing that is going to be a big thing. Um, but the good thing about cardio is you're not doing too much muscle breakdown. There's, it's not like weight training where we're getting, we're, we're micro turn the muscle fibers, it's got to rebuild and stuff like that. Cardio is not going to bring, it's, it's, you're going to recover quite quickly from it. So it's something we can use. Like, like Travis said, it's a tool in our toolbox as coaches. Um, we, I don't like it. I know Travis on his Stairmaster, he absolutely loves that thing. A lot of time for it, mate, yeah. I've been watching Spider-Man on that today, mate. I'm having a great time. I almost want to go back and carry on. To be fair, I was on the bike um, earlier. I do like bike erg. Yeah, we don't have one those. But guys, just Carl's uh, summary there. If you ever wonder why fitness is a minefield and why it's not straightforward and why we both have jobs, that's it. Because yeah. it is unique. We're giving you generic advice. We're getting you to think about these things and how you can apply them to you here. But until we have all those details, that's the only time we can get specific and have more of an understanding. So if you don't have an understanding of that, then it's going to be pretty tough. So I think you've got two, I think you've got two ends of the spectrum as well on cardio, just to finish off there, is you've got people that do too much of it and don't do enough of the other weight training. And then you've got people that do the weight training who don't do enough of the cardio. There's there's not many people in the middle. Cardio bunnies versus gym bros. Yeah. And the new age Avengers. Is that what we're <laughs> on? Um, cool. So that's cardio, guys. So we'll talk about strength training now. Kyle has been strength training for a lot longer than I have, even though he said I'll train for 15 years. I promise it's not that long. Otherwise, I'd be bigger for definite. 
that's not true either. Um, but Kyle has more experience in strength training. He's got more experience in good resistance training from an earlier age than I have because I certainly was the gym bro. So um, strength training for fat loss, Kyle, what's your take? So when I talk about strength training, I take it out of the fat loss remit. Um, and the reason I do this is I, I, I go back from a layman's terms point of view, I go back to the science behind fat loss, calories in versus calories out. So the way I try and explain it to people is we need to control your intake, which is going to come from outside of the gym. We need to control your daily movement, which is also going to come outside of the gym. The stuff we're doing in the gym in terms of relation to strength training is performance based. So are we getting progressive overloading? Are we hitting the muscle tissues we want in, in the correct volumes and stuff like that? So I'm not using it as a fat loss thing. So when it comes to weight loss, uh, weight training, don't look at a bicep curl as a fat loss exercise. Think of it as just a bicep curl. I'm growing my biceps through that movement, right? So we're using strength training to promote what's called MPS, muscle protein synthesis, um, and also just basically get the, the joints and muscle tissue a lot stronger um, and bring about that better look, better physique, right? There's not many people, I don't actually, there's no one that hasn't really strength trained or done any progressive overload with weighted movements and look better, right? Um, so strength training for fat loss is very, very important. Um, like really important if you if you don't use it you'll lose it it's that 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 sort of principle um, I huh? i'll just add sorry just to be clear guys as well strength training slash resistance training doesn't mean barbell bench press weights and stuff it can be using your body it can be using other forms of equipment i just thought i'd put that in there yeah, yeah, yeah resistance training isn't just that specific where we think oh my god we've got to go to gyms the gym where we see big scary men lifting heavy weights that's not what we're saying at all so yeah so strength training is progressive in nature so if you're doing a bodyweight squat if that's enough for you that's fine if you do eight reps right next week can you do nine reps can you do 10 reps that is a form of strength training because you're you're increasing the, uh, the the amount of volume you're doing to that joint um and also the loading structure can you reduce the uh, can you increase the time under tension so can you do slower reps on the on the uh, bodyweight squat can you add some loading that that's strength training so it can yeah there's lots of caveats to it like um travis was saying um so in terms of calorie balance i try not to to embed them both together although you are going to be burning calories you're using energy so that's that's a, a given you're not going to burn as many calories as you would in a um in a cardio session because heart rate is going to vary um, and heart rate's massive when it comes to calorie output um so if for example what i mean by that is if you're if you're on the stairmaster and hitting 150 beats per minute and you burn a rate of one at 150 beats per minute you burn one calorie every minute you're going to burn a lot more than if you're varying heart rate doing strength training and what i mean by that is if you're doing 10 reps you go to 120 bpm then your heart rate's going to come down to 90 during your 60 second rest you're going to be averaging let's say 110 beats per minute through that session so you're not going to be burning as, as many calories that's actually quite a good um, way of describing it um <laughs> and so, so that's that's how i try and coach strength training um with travis and i are both massive advocates of strength training i think everyone yeah. should be doing it i've just got my nan doing it she's 76 really proud of her Love first it. time she stepped into the gym last three weeks she's been nailing it uh, we're going to get it strong and the, funny, the funny thing is about that travis is most people as they get older should actually do more strength training to hold right. on to that muscle tissue um but we normally go the other way so yeah that's that's what i use strength training for, for fat loss it's going to make you look better you should do it 
just going back to that as well, because I know you love them. So your nan's 76 and she started going to the gym. Most people curtail and stop putting as much movement. So my question would be, do you get old because you stop playing or do you stop playing because you get old? Stop playing because you get old. No, you get old because you stop playing. So your nan will create... Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Your I mean, nan will yeah. create longevity in her ability to move and walk and shop and play yeah, with yeah. kids or whatever because she's training. So that's a good one. So right. when Carl's absolutely hit the nail on the head, there, I mean, there would ever be any discussion in this in terms of having different opinions. We strength train, we resistance train to be bigger, stronger and healthier. And when I say bigger, I mean in terms of development of muscles. That doesn't mean turning young women into Mr. Olympia. It's about using the muscles in the right way to support our day-to-day movement, our hobbies, if we play sports or anything like that, protect the joints. And again, we only get old because we stop playing. So the more resistance training we do at a younger age and all the way through life, then we're going to be far healthier. Most people on here will have tracked their calorie output on a strength training. I had a client sign up recently and we did the first couple of her sessions and she was like, I didn't burn many calories. And I went, that's all right. We're not trying to. And she looked at me, gone out like I just ripped up the rule book. Resistance training is not for calorie output. And the reason for that, and there's also a bit of a myth about resistance. You burn more calories from resistance training after you finish your session. Yeah, afterwards. absolutely not the case. The truth is you will burn more calories at rest with the more muscle your body holds because it's what? Mass. It's the same as fat you will burn more calories. However, more muscle requires more energy and more fuel. So it will burn more calories or it will require more of your energy sources whilst you're doing absolutely nothing. So resistance training for fat loss, the key benefit and for the fat loss element is that you will build more muscle through resistance training. Your body will naturally require more energy usage to support that muscle growth development and maintenance so you'll start to burn more calories at rest and therefore eliciting a bigger calorie deficit for fat loss but we do not resistance slash strength train for fat loss specifically anything to add on that or was that we smashed that no you absolutely yeah i think that that's the best slide ever i think so so we've done cardio we've done strength training you're probably thinking you guys can shut up now we're done what else is there movement and you will have heard of this from Calorie effing deficits, best mate, knee up 24-7, I'm sure. And if you haven't, you're potentially not on social media or under a rock. So where does movement come in? What does movement mean to us? And what on earth is NEAT? So NEAT is non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which very simply is the calories burned each day, which isn't exercise. So does movement matter to weight loss? Massively, massively huge so neat i love talking about neat non-exercise activity thermogenesis so if you look at that graph on the right hand side that is percentage of tdee so the amount of energy you burn each day now one thing to caveat that is this changes on a daily basis yeah you sometimes move less you sometimes move more that's why when it comes to tracking things for fat loss you need to look at this data you need to track your movement because especially if you put yourself in a deficit your body will try and caveat that through metabolic adaptation which will come through less output less movement less fidgeting fidgeting sorry less standing up so tracking movement as a whole is really important obviously the crap bits that um, travis were talking about can be useful for tracking steps but that's all we're looking at we're not looking at how many calories you're burning just primarily how many steps you're doing now neat 
is an easy way for people to create a deficit, in my opinion. You have 24 hours in a day. You have 24 hours to move, right? You can stand up, sit down. You can do a little lap of the office once every 10 minutes. You're going to be burning more calories than if you were just sitting at that desk for eight hours a day, right? It's something easy. Everyone can do it. It's, yeah, everyone can do it. I think that, that just sums it up right there. Yeah. So we use, um, Travis and I will use steps as a target for people so we know how much movement they're doing and to caveat the fact that you will try and drop movement as you go into the deficit. Yeah, 100%. So metabolic adaptation, guys, is quite simply um, the process of your body adapting to what its needs are. So when we're talking about lost mass, then what actually is that? You'll see Kyle disappearing on the screen now. He don't want to be here. He's had enough. Yeah, I'm going to get my steps in. <laughs> um, so metabolic adaptation is your body's very very intelligent way of just adapting to your needs so if you lose mass then you need less fuel if you increase mass then you need more fuel so your body's just adapting so movement and neat is a really key part to this journey because it's such a huge part of your day so why is neat important so you can see here on the slide and for those on the podcast 70 percent of the calories we burn day to day are our bmr so our metabolic rate that is literally the what we burn for living for being alive then the biggest next section which is 15 percent, is our non-exercise so we're only in the gym for one hour out of our 24 hour day that's only ever going to be about five percent of our day whereas your knee could be 15 so walking to the toilet going parking far away in the car park walking around work like kyle said it could just be going out for a walk so it's really really important because it's such a huge part of our day and the more we increase that, the more we're going to increase our calorie output because it's a bigger percentage of our output. The drawbacks to it, quite simply, are their time consuming. So if you've got a really stable job where you sit down at your desk all day, I don't know, you work in recruitment and you're desk driven the whole time, then going out for a walk in the evening is going to be time consuming. Yes, that is a drawback. That is a negative. But what ways can we create those little hacks? instead of taking the lift or the escalator, walking up the stairs, like say parking further away from the office. When you go to the toilet, go to the furthest one. Like they're all little hacks you can get away with in the workplace. When you're going to boil a kettle, can you go for a walk or walk up and down on the spot? When you're at home, can you have a little dance or make sure you do the hoovering when you get home? They will all increase, increase your need, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, again, calories burned, which is an exercise to create a bigger output. And the biggest benefit as well from this is not only is it such a big percentage of your day, you don't have to recover from it. It helps with your recovery because you're moving and you're creating blood flow and you're delivering nutrients to the muscles. You absolutely don't have to recover from it. No one ever goes and sits down and goes, oh, my legs hurt from walking up the stairs. They probably just hurt because someone's battered you in the gym on leg day. It's not from the neat that you have. So really, really important part to creating a calorie deficit and, and moving that fat loss journey. I think it's where a lot of people go wrong on weekends. Um, like, so if you think about routine, day to day, Monday to Friday, everyone's, your your movement is relatively same in terms of the job you're doing and stuff like that. If you were just having a basic day and not tracking any of it. But as it comes to the weekend and people use the weekends for pure rest, we binge watch Netflix, have a takeaway. So your movement probably comes down if you're not tracking it. You probably do 2,000 steps mm -hmm. rather than hitting eight to 10,000 that you would normally be doing. And that's where you see, especially from a calorie deficit point of view, if you're refeeding glycogen and, and you're coming out of that deficit on the weekend because your movement isn't there, then if you weigh on the Monday, Tuesday, 
I guarantee the body weight is going to be up if you're not tracking your movement. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's why having structure and little reminders and, and trying to keep as much in a fat loss journey, this is trying to keep as much of a routine as you can into the weekend. If you get up and walk the dog early morning before you go to work, do the same at the weekend or make sure as soon as you get up, you go and do it. Don't get allow yourself to be lazy by not encouraging those habits. Yes, it's the weekend. So some of your life changes or that it doesn't have to be the weekend if you're a shift worker or whatever, but doing what your normal routine is throughout that time will create far more consistency, adherence, and it will just make it far more habitual because that's your norm and that will make life a lot easier. So we've kind of done the outputs of calories. We've kind of done the outputs of a calorie deficit. So we're very briefly going to touch on calorie input. And we probably could sit here for hours, except from I'm not, I'm not nice enough to pay for expensive Zoom. Um, <laughs> so we're going to talk about the input in terms of are calories king? Is it fuel? Is it food? Whatever you want to talk about, however you can do it. So for kind of like, Fat loss, if all you need, um, or so for fat loss, if all you need is to be in a calorie deficit, you can lose two stone by only eating McDonald's, right? Yeah, you can. You can lose weight. You can lose two stone by eating McDonald's. But should you? No. Why, why would you? Like, in terms of our belief, again, based on the fact you're in the healthy six group, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you do that? What? what benefit would we have of losing two stone by only eating McDonald's and what drawbacks would we have? So I think we spoke about this uh, before the call, didn't we? In terms of talking about all those holistic things in terms of talking about health, um, fitness, um, hormones, digestion, energy, the longevity of the game, like drawbacks to eating those calories, like what might they be? So you've all felt it before and we all hear like sugar addictions are supposedly real, which they're not really most of the time. Um, or cravings because we're craving a McDonald's. Are we craving a McDonald's or just do we want convenience? And we spoke about this last week, didn't we, Carl, about yeah. resolutions to a problem. So if you're going to try and build the body, remember when we're speaking about resistance training and you're speaking about using resistance training to build a better, stronger, fitter body that may actually make us heavier eating McDonald's or chocolate or those sweets as a whole, only those foods are never going to be a benefit to us because they're not going to provide any nutritional value. We're not going to get any vitamins, minerals. We're not getting any protein for satiety. We're not getting carbohydrate, proper carbohydrates for energy, like slow release carbohydrates. We're getting lots of fats that will have an impact on our hormones. So calories are king. Yes. In terms of weight loss, but remember weight loss is redundant and we're talking about fat loss. And fat loss is where we want to be chasing. We want to be building the body that we're proud of. We want to be building the body to support each other and to support the nutritional side and to support the way that you live so that you've got longevity. And that's why I've put the 80-20 rule. This isn't necessarily something I implement with my clients. I don't know about you, Carl. What about the 80-20 rule? Do you use that at all? Sometimes. Yeah, it depends. Depends on the person. Uh, that that general quote it depends on the person so an 80 percent to 20 percent rule guys is we're basically saying if you were to follow this rule 80 percent of your calories consumed should be of whole food nutritional sources now when we talk about whole food we're talking single ingredient non-processed 
out of not out of like a packet like a Mars bar, maybe packets in terms of keeping the food fresh, such as steak or chicken, but 80% good nutritional value foods, fruits, veggies, meats, fish, whole foods, single ingredient foods. They are your 80%. 20% is your what people call junk food, which would be like sweets and chocolate and processed stuff and takeaway. And they're kind of the foods that bring us nice flavor and nice taste. And they're the things that we associate with certain things from our past or, or as a way of relaxing, but they don't give us much nutritional value in terms of driving us forward or driving our fitness journey. But that doesn't mean there's no place for it because I will always have a McDonald's at some point over a month or whatever. And I'm not ashamed of that. And sometimes when I'm tired and I've come back from work and we've spoken about pizza last week, am I going to order 20 chicken nuggets? Yes. Are they 900 calories? Yes. Do they have a bit of protein? Yeah. And does it stop me cooking? Yes, that's fine. But if I ate like 80% of the time like that, I would be very poorly uh, energized. I'd be poor in sleep. I'd probably manage my relationships less well. My gym sessions would certainly be rubbish. So just trying to make sure that you're eating foods that fuel you, because if you put water in your fuel tank of your car, it's not going to run, but it's got the same volume of liquid. That's a, I like that as well. Yeah. It's, you're, on, you're on fire today. Cliches, mate. I've got them all. I've told you. But putting the wrong fuel in your car, you wouldn't do because you know it won't run. So putting the wrong fuel in you also means you won't run. Yeah. Foods is a really... I love talking about food. Like, I'm such a firm believer in people fueling themselves properly. Um, but no one ever craves chicken and broccoli. Everyone always craves that Domino's, that McDonald's. And it's it goes back to the psychology side of things again. Um, what people normally do when it comes to dieting, so fat loss, weight loss, whatever you want to call it, we'll go around fat loss in a minute. So people put themselves in a prison with their diet. So they cut everything out, literally everything. They, they change it all straight away. But when you do what you do with a prison, and this is a psychological meaning, is as soon as you're in a prison, you want to break out of that prison. And you, you're constantly looking for ways to break out of that prison. And this is what happens when people diet is they go, I'm, I'm eating McDonald's every day. And now I'm going to stop eating McDonald's completely. Now, that is not going to help you straight away because you're going to revert back to that old behavior. Because psychologically, it's quite a big behavior for you. You've done it regularly. It's going to take a lot of change. So we're looking at bringing things down. Now, from a health point of view, we want to make sure we're getting as good nutrient quality foods as we can because fuel is, yes, it's protein, carbohydrates and fats, but we're also talking about micronutrients, which most people don't actually talk about. I'll touch on uh, calorie deficits and deficiencies, um, which is a really big point to, to talk about. But um, the veg you get, the, the um, fruit you're consuming is giving your body the, the micronutrients that the chicken and broccoli, uh, the chicken and rice and stuff like that isn't giving you, right? This is where a lot of people create deficiencies, right? A, a, a big one in dieting is normally anemia, people losing iron stores because your body's downregulating itself. Yeah, you've got then thyroid downregulates, testosterone downregulates. So when we drop into a negative energy deficit, there's certain things as coaches we look for. We, we use them as red flags. We're looking for telltale signs that this person might be in too much of a big deficit or they're not fueling their body appropriately. And this is where you need to think about you as an individual, right? Is the food you're giving yourself, giving you all the, all the nutrients you need to, to A, survive, B, do it efficiently and also do it sustainably? 
and feel good for it. Yeah. So this is where that food versus fuel comes in. Um, you can have a McDonald's every day, but I, I, you're guaranteed at some point your body's going to tell you to stop. I'm yeah? in. I'm in. I'm off. Chocolate milkshake every morning. Oh, mate. Green. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a really interesting debate. Like, from the science point of view, yeah, calorie deficit. But from what I see from that is you end up being more hungry because you start looking for smaller snacks. Like, people, we're in a world now where everyone wants a low-calorie snack, and they actually build their diet around low-calorie snacks rather than three to four decent fulfilling meals. Like Live in a world of convenience. Everyone yeah, if, at their fingertips. If you had chicken and broccoli five times a day, your calories are probably going to be around 1,600 calories, if mm. that. Like, you're going to feel very full. Yeah, it's going to be boring, but you're going to have, you're going to get, get a good result. And that's the thing. It is boring. We're not saying have chicken and broccoli five, six times a day, but in terms of the fuel versus um, food side of things, like the healthier options, the nutrient dense options are actually lower in calories. So you can eat more of them. Like you can have a lot of veg in your diet and it's going to fill you up and stuff like that. So there's so many caveats to this, this side of things that we want you to understand that everyone knows having McDonald's all the time or Domino's isn't great for you. Look at why you're having it. Try and get into the psychology of why um, and create that awareness and then start asking the questions. How can you change things and how can you move forward? Hey, I'm seven months clean at Domino's. Oh, yeah. All takeaway pizza, seven months clean. So I hate pizza. Uh, but unfortunately, I had pizza on Sunday. Say that again. I hate pizza, yeah. All right, guys, that's, it's been great to know you. But that's <laughs> healthy sex, because I'm not working with someone that doesn't like pizza. It's, uh, it's a really weird one. I can only have a barbecue chicken pizza. And I literally, it's something that I could, like, I'm just not fussed. I'm changing the artwork of this podcast to my face right now because that is <laughs> that's absolutely unacceptable on all levels. Guys, don't listen to him. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. Right, so that's that's fuel versus food. We've got, I think, one very last touch point that we've covered all the way through this. Um, and it's kind of just a very easy no-brainer in terms of logic, but it's not what we apply. It's very simple, and my artwork is elite. And it's very simply the hare or the tortoise, rapid weight loss versus slow weight loss. And we've touched on it all the way through in terms of can you be in too big of a calorie deficit? Can we be looking for too quick of a convenience? And we spoke about this is why we're not getting you to stand up in front of margarine and get on the scales whilst we judge you on the number on it. Now, 90% of you listening to this will have done Slimming World, Weight Washers, one-to-one diet, Cambridge diet. And yet you're still listening to us. For healthy six and there's probably a simple very easy reason that you all share there where weight loss in there was always the main focus and was always looking at rapid weight loss to a point where it was never sustainable so slow weight loss by focusing on things such as resistance training movement neat cardio uh, calories for fuel rather than just calories so food for fuel not just food if we focus on getting all of those things right and all our habits right and looking after the other pillars that we haven't yet got to, that might actually represent slightly slower weight loss for you week on week. But you will always find that it's easier to sustain. So you can go out and you can smash. Um, this, you, can, you know, you can go out and smash your barbecue chicken pizza because you don't like normal pizza, which is weird. <laughs> but you can do that if six, like 80% of the time you're eating the right nutrition and you're training hard and you're moving every day. Like, that slow weight loss is always going to be more sustainable because you can fit your normal life into it. 
So we're trying to change your life through fat loss, but we are not trying to flip your life upside down for fat loss. And that would be my last take on it, really. 100%. So yeah. 100%. Very simple. The Herald of Tortoise, everyone know how it ends. And your weight loss, fat loss journey, your bodybuilding journey, your road into getting fit, they're always going to end the same way. You've got to make, you've got to make it. For, for a decent level physique, you've got to make the process good for you, right? Rapid weight loss, putting a large deficit in place, leads to one thing, a crash, a big one. So, yeah, 100%. And I think, again, there's nothing wrong with having rapid weight loss or rapid fat loss for short periods of time in terms of, you know, you've got a holiday coming up and we're trying to increase your confidence because it's affecting your mental health. You've got a photo shoot, that's fine. But understand that it's going to be tough, like, to sustain that, to not bounce back immediately on holiday or to bounce back when you get back from a photo shoot. I've done it. I'll be honest, I put my hands up. I've done two photo shoots now. The first time, I lost 12 kilos and I gained 15 in less time than I, I lost it. And the second time, it took the same amount of time to go back to where I was because they were all, like, they're not sustainable options. Like, they, none of the habits that I had to put in place were sustainable it didn't look after my mental health and that's why it's got to be right for you. But also understanding that if it's rapid for whatever reason, you have to understand that there's some of it's going to come back. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's, that's the, that's the truth of it. That is the truth right there. And everyone that you see on Instagram that's constantly shredded, they're probably living like that, constantly living like that. It's only sustainable. They get paid to look like that. They get paid to advertise their stupid ab gel or, their vegan shake or whatever it is. Remember the people that are doing that and it's their day to day. That's what they get paid to do because they don't go to work. They don't raise a family yet. They go to the gym. They eat nutritious foods. They probably get it for free. They've got milk. Yeah, their food's all done for them. <laughs> meal prep company sending it to them or they're going on Love Island or they've just come out of Love Island. Like all these people that you see permanently shredded, it's either their life or let me tell you two secrets. One, water manipulation. And that's a conversation for a different day. They might be walking around at I don't know, 11 or 12% body fat. And then they just water manipulate for two weeks. They dehydrate themselves. So they feel rubbish, take some pictures and go slap a five guys. Like that's the facts of it. People that we are comparing ourselves onto on Instagram, 90% of the time are not a real physique in the sense they're either enhanced, edited, not living like that. It's an old picture or simply the fact that they, they are spending their entire life. And that's not to hate on them because lots of them look very, very good but just understand that that's not what we're all destined to look like when we've got a normal life. Yeah. There's lots of ways we can manipulate things. And it's only when you're in that industry and you, you see it and have done it on yourself that you, you realize most of the people you're seeing on your screens all the time are not what you should be looking at. Like it, this is you against you. It's cliche, all that rubbish, but it really is. Are you progressing? <laughs> there you go. Are you progressing? Like that, that's the simple fact. Do you feel better than you did last week? Are you getting involved in the process? Are you feeling healthier? Are you clothes better? Like, don't stop. And this is where, for me, fat loss and weight loss, although I love fat loss and weight loss, people shouldn't stop exercising because they're not losing weight. People shouldn't stop eating well because they're not losing weight. Like, they're so important to, to you as a human being. If you don't do it now, your body is going to make you do it at some point. Yeah, definitely. So guys, that's weight loss and fat loss. That's the basics covered. There's a load of information. 90% of them are facts. 10% is our opinions and experiences. Any questions or comments, drop them in the comments. 
We're going to ping over from here and do our Q&A on Facebook. And then this, obviously, for you guys listening on the podcast, don't go anywhere because we're going to roll it over. Um, so, yeah. See you next time. I've had enough of this game. Why does my computer not do it, but yours does? Well, we might have to do a, uh, a little trial on this again. Um, it does button. So as soon as I go on my phone, it comes up. But I don't, uh, I don't know if it's because... Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's because it's a phone. It's diff- it works differently on Facebook. I don't know. Well, obviously, I'm just a Zoom leader and Facebook's out of my league, clearly. <laughs> um, so, we've got five questions. Really quick, this one. We'll just literally have a chat about these five questions. Now, the five questions with this, um, try to follow on from the webinar, um, but they're a bit more specialised uh, in terms of the questions. They're a bit different, um, so we can give some, some more feedback on that. So, I'll start with this one. I feel just, really... Oh, sorry, yeah. Well, obviously, the guys listening on the podcast who've just switched over, so they do follow on. Um, and hopefully we can get a little bit more depth in there for um, those who have just been directly to the webinar. Obviously, if you're watching this live or you're going to watch this back, they'll be separate, but the podcast will go live later on today. Yeah, that's, thanks for clearing that up. So our first question, I'll ask, I'll ask Travis this. I feel really hungry. Is there anything I can do? Yeah, eat more. No, um, obviously, <laughs> most people asking this question, it will usually be in relation to fat loss. Um, there's a number of things you can do to to help with hunger um, and these are a couple of tactics I use so first of all you can just quite simply eat more and by that I mean eating lower calorie foods but more of them you can eat foods high in fiber and foods high in protein will have the highest uh, satiety rating so it'll fill you up the most um, obviously lots of water will always help lots of green leafy vegetables and one of my favorite ways of dealing with it is creating yourself like a not necessarily a timetable but like a routine of eating so we know that food will create uh hunger cues so if we eat at nine o'clock every day we know the next day or for the next week we're going to start getting hungry at nine o'clock our stomach has a clock our brain has a clock we all work on the clock so by creating like eating windows or eating patterns that will also allow your body to get used to those times of eating the sort of foods you're going to eat and therefore you'll start to get hungry at those times so that's kind of more of a long-term one but other than that water protein fiber green leafy vegetables and lots of lots of low calorie foods rather than little amounts of high calorie foods yeah i think a good one to add on there is hunger unfortunately is a signal that your body's going to try and do a lot because you're creating that negative energy deficit it doesn't want to be there if you watch the webinar the body primary role is maintenance or increase right in terms of uh, not increasing its weight but in terms of storing fat it doesn't want to be in the negative energy deficit hunger cues are it's easy way for you it's trying to force you to eat because it doesn't want you to do it right and we have to understand we've got to try and caveat that with all these tips and tricks use food volume really good one water etc but also we've got hedonic hunger. We've taught ourselves to be hungry, especially in the westernized world. We have uh, Domino's Pizza on click, uh, McDonald's, things like that. We can get anything we want when we want it, Amazon Prime, things like that. So it's harder for us now to stop that from happening, right? Your body wants hunger, it, you're normally gonna give yourself food. You're now trying to caveat that behavior. So this is where the psychology and the mindset side of it comes in, which we were talking about last week. This is also 
getting into hunger is a really interesting one but yeah basically what travis said um, and just understand it yeah definitely so that will obviously help keep us full the next question that we got um and this is one that you probably get different answers from different people you ask some people will tell you not to um but we me and kyle actually operate on a very similar way but with some clients i definitely pivot the way i coach on this um it, how often should i weigh so kyle if you want to take that like how you do it and what and your thoughts on it as well you, you said something there that like sums everything we talk about up is different person to person right we're trying to cover all topics we try and make it as individual as possible different experiences we try and talk about different start type of people and how we work with those so you're trying to get different ends of the spectrum but we'll always caveat the process and the, the, the strategy we use to the person right but averagely how often should we wait i will try and get people to weigh uh, on a daily because i track weekly um body weight rather than actual day-to-day -day body weight so i track it over the course of a week um, because we're looking for average weight rather than like we were talking about in the, the, um, the webinar before, there's so much that goes into body weight. If you're tracking it Monday to Monday um, and direct in relation to each other, it can be quite a dangerous game for the mindset and psychology aspect. Um, and then when we add in female psycho uh, physiology, sorry, like time of the month, understanding how uh, weight is affected is a big one. So when I start tracking a female's weight for a 30 day period, I can understand, uh, pardon the pun, um, I can understand their, their, where they are in their cycle and I can weigh week one of month one with week one of month two and then do the same like that. Because if you think about female physiology, you've got follicular luteal phase, you've got two weeks in each, progesterone, estrogen and other hormones are doing all sorts over those different weeks. So for a female phys side of it, it gets a bit complicated um, for, for males. Um, I track on a, a on a weekly average. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about that, Travis. Yeah, it's particularly when you're saying about the female physiology side. I actually told one of my clients they were doing their menstrual cycle yesterday, and she said, "What do you mean?" But because we track those weights and we track performance, and over that time we've used averages and worked out how she feels, because she doesn't have the normal signs that you would expect of her menstrual cycle at her age she doesn't she's never tracked it so it's really important that we do that especially for female clients so they understand it often we're met well i don't know about you but often with new clients particularly younger clients as as young male pts i'm maybe met with a little bit of resistance at first but just understanding that and how that will affect yeah so i do weigh daily as well um and again i look at the weekly average so what we can do is by using that we can see where the lowest point was and the highest point and we can see how the previous day affected that yeah that's um, what I like doing. I like being able to say to a client, actually, they go, their body weight's gone up and you go, yeah, look at the data you've shown me. Like your steps were down yesterday or you went out for that pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That pizza. So we can, <laughs> I wish. So we can pinpoint exactly what people are doing and how it's affecting. And it creates an education for that client as well as us to dictate what, or not dictate, but just to alter what things that they need to potentially be doing. Um, but not only that, the, the key thing to this question really is we almost want to get a little bit sciencey. How often should I wait? It doesn't matter how often you wait as such, as long as you keep your test conditions the same. So if it's every day, your test conditions the same. Out of bed, onto the toilet, onto the scales. If it's yeah. once a week, make sure it's on a day after you do nothing, like if that's a week. So a scientist wouldn't do a, an experiment under different test conditions each time because they'd get different results. So it doesn't matter how often you weigh, if you're someone that maybe has a negative 
uh, relationship with scale weight as it stands and we're in the process of taking you into that journey, then maybe you won't weigh at all. But when you do, that needs to be of the same condition. And that's a really good good point. Um, and this is key for people that um, have uh, shift work, shift patterns. Obviously, yeah. if you're doing one week where you work in nights, one week where you work in days, your body weight's going to be all over the place. So I I have it on the tracking system that I use. I've got a notes section for those clients on rotor systems, so I can start looking at where their body weight is on the the rotor system that they're using. Um, and once again, this is this is about learning your life. Like everything we're doing, we're looking at you as an individual and taking that all into consideration, and then we're using our experience and our knowledge to apply that. Right. Um, same with same with scale weight. And one reason we can then use it is we can then look at the average percent of change for that person per week. So when we look at rates of fat loss and things like that, there's certain numbers that we're looking for as coaches. So we can use that as a marker to create that deficit. How much of a deficit are you in? You're in and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, hundred percent. So the next question that we got, and I'm happy to pick up because I love this conversation. I've yeah. time. If I eat carbs too late, will I gain fat? Well, I just spoke to you a minute ago about feeling hungry and your body working on a clock. And it does, but it, there's no cutoff. Otherwise, I would be absolutely running calories at midnight and going to sleep rather than 10 to 11. Like, there's no cutoff in terms of what your body does with carbohydrates or the calories or the food that you eat. Will you gain fat? Now, a really good point to add on to this is if you weigh daily and you eat carbs too late, will you gain weight for the next weigh-in yes yes you will because you've got mass in your stomach you have put food into your stomach if you swallowed a brick would you gain weight yes like there is food in your stomach and you haven't processed it or digested it yet with carbohydrates as a whole for every gram of carbohydrate we eat we take on three to five grams of uh, water that's obviously a rough amount and that will differ person to person but that means if you eat 200 grams of carbs just before you get into bed you're going to gain about a kilo. And yes, you'll lose some of it overnight as you breathe and you process certain stuff. But will it lead to fat gain only if you overconsume calories over the whole period of the week, the month, the year? But there is no deadline for this. There is no cutoff time at all. And that's, that's an important point there is it's, and this is where weight loss, like focusing so much on the scale weight, it comes back to that thing. Like carbohydrates influence your, your body weight. Like Travis was just saying, one gram of glycogen stored, three to five grams of water. Like, that's massive. Like, if you're storing that much energy in terms of glycogen, ready, ready to use energy, your body isn't, that's not giving you a true uh, representation of your effort levels or the fat loss, rate of fat loss and things like that. So understanding weight is really important. Um, and one thing to, to just point out is your body was created long before days, months, hours in a day were created, right? Although we work off a seven day week and seven day averages and stuff like that, 24 hour periods, your body just knows food, right? We try and track over 24 hours, but sometimes you need to understand that we need to look at a weekly cycle to gauge that deficit, if that makes sense. So remember, it's, it's always changing all the time. Um, so that's something to understand. Yeah, definitely. And then, so to lose weight, Carl, would you, would you plan every meal? Would you plan every meal? So for adherence purposes, um, especially if we start talking about decision fatigue, um, most people make the worst choices later on in the evening. 
um, because they've had so much stress throughout the day um, and things like that. For most people, planning would be essential to create structure. Like Travis was saying in the webinar, or earlier, sorry, um, your body wants, wants structure. We are creatures of routine and habit. That, that is us in a nutshell. Um, so with food, you've got to try and create as much structure as you can. So planning and plans can change. This is what I say to clients all the time, just because it's planned, like you're just giving yourself a set of rules, a set of guidelines that you could follow. You choose not to, that's fine. Um, but we obviously then have to create that awareness. So I would always advise if you want to get the best results possible for yourself, planning as much of your nutrition as you can limits the uh, amount of poor decisions you'll make throughout the journey. I feel like it's time for a cliche. I'm not going to lie. Go on. Go on. Obviously, you know, all right, this one's rough. I, even I don't want to say this one, but obviously people always say preparing to fail is, uh, sorry, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Plans are just that, like plans are guidelines. They're, they're a journey. It's, it's like using a sat nav to go on a road trip. Like you don't necessarily have to follow it strictly, but the plan will usually keep you on track, whether that means that you have to have a slight deviation or a slight adjustment. Should you plan every meal? Yeah, as a weekly thing, I think you should. As a yeah. weekly thing, plan your meal in terms of on Monday morning, I'm going to have yogurt granola. On Monday lunch, I'm going to have chicken salad. On Monday night, I'm going to have this. That's not what I'm saying. But over the week, you should have an idea of your consumption of, of macronutrients and food intakes so that then that does allow you to have one or two meals or three meals off plan because you plan the rest of them. So not every meal, no, but you can plan, you should be planning a solid 80%. And that comes back to what I mentioned in the webinar of 80% perfect, 100% time will always be the most beneficial compared to being 100% perfect all the time. Massively. And, and it is one of those things that, especially in our world now, we're living at 100 miles an hour, so many distractions, stresses and things like that. Like just taking five, 10 minutes on a Sunday night to look at your weekly structure of food is going to probably create more adherence and consistency than not doing it. Right. Yeah. And, and you, you all want results. And that is what as coaches, we see that people lack is that structure with food. And the, the thing is with food, it's one of the things that you're going to have to eat anyway. Regardless if you choose nutrient-dense food, calorie-dense food, you're going to have to eat. So make it as efficient as possible. Like if you were working, if we were telling you now to make more money, you have to do this more efficiently, you would do it because there's yeah. money involved, right? We're saying for you to get better results, structure your food right? It takes five minutes, not even that. And you'll get, we're not saying you'll get the results, but you'll get, you'll get more efficient at it because you're following a structure. Yeah. And you yeah. can then manipulate that structure. And like we come back to what gets measured, gets managed. We've got cliches today. That, oh, that's the, what the we, for the cliches. It's, it's on fire today. Yeah. So like it comes back to that. If you, if you're measuring it, you're going to manage it, whether yeah. it's good or bad, you've got that, that tangible link. I think as well, I don't know what, and, and just to very briefly add to that, in terms of the structure, 90% of people I see are very, very organized, whether that's through childcare or through their jobs, understanding that these people have so much organization in their life that there's almost a resentment, but just that extra five, 10 minutes of stacking some habits together to put the structure in place for their nutrition because they're driven individuals in what they do success would come so much easier just by spending that little tiny bit of extra time finding that one percent of time each day to put a little bit of a plan together and to caveat that if people start moaning at you this is from an external stressor point of view I just thought about this 
if people start to moan at you and say you're obsessed, blah, 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 don't let their insecurities be pushed onto you because a lot of people will try and do that. They'll try and make themselves feel better by, by labeling you as obsessed or, and, and things like that. Like this is all about you, right? This is about your journey, your focuses, your, your life, your goals. Don't let other people ruin it. Don't let other people's opinions matter. Like I said, if you sat in a room of 100 PTs, you're going to get 100 different answers. And that's why Travis and I, we, when we talk about these things, we'll talk about our experiences. We'll have debates on them and, and offer different suggestions because when we look at things, we've all got different eyes and we're all looking at different, different things. So, um, yeah, focus on you and just focus on you. That's what we yeah. want to say. You're triggering me because now I've got to add to that again. Um, and this, a lot of people think this is cringe. I have this conversation with a lot of my clients and it, and I'll be honest, I'll happily put stereotype down. I have this conversation with most of my clients who are mums and probably work at the same time as well, where they don't get the support from their husband or they don't get the support from their friends to do those things or they'll say they're obsessed. And the reason is very, very simple. Most people won't believe me on this until they live through it. The reason that they don't encourage you to do better is because you highlight their weaknesses. Yeah. So by you being in shape, by you being fitter and healthy, by you having this new confidence that you're going to go out and meet people say, all you're doing is highlighting the fact that they're now insecure about themselves or the fact if it's your husband that you might be more attractive to other people or whatever. We see this all the time. People stopping you from doing things or, or discouraging you to do things is usually a form of their insecurity. So, yeah. Yeah, that's like, yeah, that's so, good. Like, it's, again, all the same things as Carl just said. That's people coming to discourage you because that's the way they feel about themselves, not the way they feel about you. And that's why it's all about you and not them. Because they're not doing it for your benefit. They're doing it for their own benefit. And I don't care if you don't believe me because your sister said it or your best mate said it. I've got no problems sitting there and having a conversation with those people and you. I would, I would put good money on the fact that's the case. That if we got to the bottom of it, about something themselves yeah because that that's uh, as coaches that's something we see like conversations we have to have with clients is about resistance like we get taught about it as coaches you like when someone wants to take themselves out of the level they're at, at the minute and take the going to that comfort zone uh, get out of that comfort zone sorry you're going to a place where you've never really been before you have to change elements of your life some people don't like that change right and they they don't meaning they don't mean to do it but they're pushing their insecurities onto the situation, which then as coaches, we have to have some difficult conversations sometimes and we have to manage those, those circumstances. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, don't, we're saying here, don't let other people's influences detract from your goal. Remember, if you want to feel better, go and do what you need to do to feel better and don't let anyone stop you doing that. Yeah, definitely. So last up then. Do I need to track my food to lose weight? It, my it, my answer to this is very simple. It's yes. Bloody beneficial. Huh? It'd be bloody beneficial. Yeah, well, no, I think you do have to track your food to lose weight. You have to track everything to do anything. Yeah. You have to track how much money you spend to break even. Like, you didn't ask how I had to track my food. I'm not saying you have to get out of the scales and measure food and count your macros. But if you're not keeping a track of something, then how do you know what you're doing? So whether that's taking pictures of your food, writing a food diary, writing down what you eat, making conscious choices to stay on track with your food that you're eating again going back to the webinar talking about whole foods single ingredient foods the green the green light foods effectively yeah, you need to keep track that you're eating those 
if you want to lose weight because the habits that are more natural to you are the habits that got you overweight if you want to lose it. So unless you keep a track to change it, Boom. those pain. Boom, that, that's, that, that, that's it. And it also links back to that question before, to lose weight, should I plan every meal? Planning every meal, you've got a structure. You're, you're actually tracking something, although let's imagine the person's just creating a structure with their food. You can compare your structure to what you ate last week to this week. Like, did you follow it? Yes or no? What foods did you change, right? Okay, were they more calories in those foods? Or were they better food in terms of better choices of foods, nutrient-dense, calorie-dense, stuff like that? So 100% right what Travis said. We need some awareness of what's going on, right? Yeah. Without that, it's like if we went to our accountants and said, like, well, how much profit do we make this year? And they say, uh, where's your income and outgoes? We haven't got them. Like, you, it's just guesswork. So... Um, yeah, you need to track something so you've got a metric you can can change. Like Travis was saying earlier about science, this is your own scientific experiment. Experiment, like that's what it is. You're, yeah, it, like it, it is. You're testing uh, a, a strategy on you. Does and, it and work? This is a scientific experiment. Your yeah. food, your calorie output, your weight data, your measurements—they're just data as part of your scientific experiment, and you should keep track of them if you want to get the results for the experiment and that's it's that simple and like i say in this i suppose it's one of the things that probably bugs me most obviously we've all got bugbears in our work but people don't want to do that but those same people do that daily with money or their work tasks or the stuff they've got to do for their kids they keep a track of everything but you ask them to take a picture of their food or to bang it on my phone and it's like you get met with resistance but they're so good at their job which is why they've got you know maybe enough income to talk to a pt as well as run a household and this and that and you think well those habits that you have that make you successful in life elsewhere are just the same habits that make you successful with us yeah. we're just telling you the trap which it's is what your body first joined your job yeah and it's one of those that people sometimes don't want to know because they know it's bad um, and it gets to that point of and this, as again, like us coaches have to have some like harsh conversations with people. Yeah. And sometimes those harsh conversations are the best ones because like when that pin drops with someone, they will fly. Right. And one thing I want to say with fat loss and weight loss, you're going to have to try, try, try. And it's not, it's not always going to be trying it works straight away. You're going to have to try something, gather the information. Okay. We need to change tactic, gather yeah. the information. Let's try something else. Gather that inf information. But you need to make sure you allow that time for the process to, to happen, right? If you're changing tactic every week, not going to work. It's yeah. got to be at least a 14 to 21 day period before you like start making any any major adjustments. So from a um, from that perspective, like if you want results, we're going to have to look at some metrics and gather some information and do a proper scientific experiment to get you feeling good. And like when you, I've never got someone in good shape and they've gone. That wasn't worth it. Like they're always wanting more. Like I've never, I've yeah. never got someone in good shape and have gone. That was like I feel awful. Like they're, they're buzzing. Like you, the confidence in and Travis and I probably share the same thoughts on this. That you, we get so invested in people's journeys that the physical changes for me are just the tip of the iceberg. Like the difference in the person, their yeah. education on nutrition, their their strength their psychology, the way they deal with situations like in life from there, they manage stress a lot better. They're very aware of what's going on around them. These are really important habits 
for long-term success within this. Um, so that's one of the biggest things. And that's why I love the job is we get to see people change and be part, a massive part of it. Mm, 100% agreed. Yeah, completely. And I think it's a really good way to end is actually that they are, you know, those things we've really spoken about, we've answered the question today and in the webinar, they're kind of basics to us and we understand that they're not to you, but keeping a track and keeping a measure on them and following guidance will always get you the result in time. The only people, and again, it goes back and I could say it every week, the only people that fail don't continue. So if you learn, fail and move on and fail and adapt and fail and adapt, you'll be a success. 100%. If you fail and give up, you'll be a failure in this journey. That doesn't, that doesn't define you as it stands. Because if you get back on it, achieve in 10 years, then you're still a success. And we've failed. Like, yeah. like this is, we, we've only built what we've got now. And we've come together at a very good point. I think uh, we're very more advanced than what we were three or four years ago. We're common on as coaches. We're more uh, knowledgeable, more experienced and stuff like that. That's why we're doing this. Like, I wouldn't have done this three or four years ago because but, I wasn't anywhere near the coach. That, yeah, like, I'm nowhere near the coach I am but, now. But, yeah. so, <laughs> so bad. So bad. Whereas, like, we've, we've gone through that process. We've trialed and errored things on ourselves and obviously with clients and learned through client experiences. And we've built systems that produce results. But there's one caveat to that. As long as you follow the process that is laid out. Yeah. I had this conversation with a client, actually, and I did a post about it. I failed with him two years ago. I saw it. And we had a, we had a conversation about this in front of a group of other clients. And he said, the reason we failed, Kyle, you didn't fail, is I was listening to you 50% of the time and doing my own thing 50% of the time, right? Yeah. And he didn't, didn't get anything, right? I, we've just finished a dieting phase and he's lost 17 kilos since January. He's just gone on holiday um, and absolutely nailed it. And he, I said, what's the difference? He said, I listened to you and followed your process. Yeah, process, structure, or guidance. And when we have, we don't get it perfect every time, but that's the point of changing it. We adapt because we learn from your data when you lack provide data to yourself and us that's when the journey gets hard right but guys that's weight loss and fat loss um i'm swanning off to rainy dublin uh on friday so carl is going to jump on remember what we said about the quiz if you have entered the quiz a will be picked random for a 50 pound gift voucher of your choice carl will be generating the draw and announcing it and then we will discuss with that person the prize of the voucher of their choice it will be a voucher no you can't have that. No, you can't have coaching um so carl will do that next week we're going to tuck into the uh stress pillar of our health 